The follow-up is simple. Ask a question, listen to the answer, then follow up. I'm your host, Noah Kozlov. Enjoy. The follow-up today is with my former college roommate, AJ Rich. He's the president and co-founder, along with George Foreman III, of Everybody Fights, the big boutique boxing gyms. It's really a boxing gym with a luxury studio experience, and they've got locations in Boston, Philadelphia, New York City, Lexington, Kentucky, and others coming around the country. AJ, what's the most unexpected reward you've discovered opening these gyms? Yeah, I think Jordan and I think about this a lot because sometimes we get we get trapped in our offices and, and we forget sometimes what we're actually doing, which is, which is kind of a funny concept because, you know, everyone's like, oh, you, you get to hang out in a gym all day. But a lot of days we're, we're just on the phone or behind the computer. So it, it's always, it's always walking into the gym and just seeing people we know or meeting people and, you know, whether they're they're rocking a hat in class or walking out the door and people are, are smiling and, and just chatting on the way out. So it's almost being like a like a silent observer of of everybody and just watching and being like, Wow, this is this is something, you know, bigger than two guys that had an idea for a gym. Um it's really it's really become our members gym, which is which is pretty pretty rad. Yeah, and you felt that sense of community right away when when you guys started in boston yeah it, it almost just was you know I, I don't know how it's hard to verbalize but it's just it's not ours right like you walk in and you're like you're proud of it but you're not proud of it because you're like oh like this is something we created it's you're proud of it because you're like this is cool and it's and it's the members like the members have taken over this space but that's the coolest part about it how about the unexpected challenges I, th- I think the unexpected challenges really are just that every time you hit a different milestone, there's just more, there's things that you just could never plan for. So you just have to always be on your toes. And, you know, I think a lot about like what, you know, what a lot of, a lot of other entrepreneurs are talking about, which is like, you just got to love the game, right? You got to love the sport of, business not like you can't be going uh, working or waking up to get to the next rung or the next milestone you just gotta like enjoy the game like you gotta want to take the shot where, where did you learn the the sport of business from we i grew up in a family business so you know my dad has always run his own business he started um to, you know he took over our family business in his early 20s so that's you know he was thrown into into the fire very early, and you know at home we just talked about business all the time. You know we we have dinner every night and, and he'd ask us about our day and he would tell us about his day. So he'd be eight, nine, ten years old. He'd be telling us about what happened at work that day. Um, we worked with him every summer since ten years old, um, and and he'd force us to have lunch in his office even though he never ate lunch and was just on the mm-hmm. phone most times. You know yelling at someone or talking. He was a very, he's a very loud person, but like in a, in like an animated way. Um, so we just got to see like the energy and the passion, um, that you have to bring every day. Um, and, and so we just learned at a very early, early age, that like if you're, if you're not kind of going hard and really passionate about something, you're better off not doing it. And that was construction, right? 
yeah, so he was he was in construction equipment, but he always had his hands in other stuff. He he owned a, I remember he owned an alarm company, and this is like thirty years ago. Um, you know, an alarm company. He did he did he built homes. Um, he had a, he had a cookie business, but that was really early on when we were really young. Um, so so they you know he seemed to always be dabbling in something outside of construction too. Are there any specific conversations that you remember or things that he said when you were 10, 11 years old over dinner that you would look back on now and say, oh, well, now I completely get it? I, I remember a lot in my early 20s because I think I, I had an idealistic way of how things were going to go. You know, like I was this, you know, business genius or just, just really delusional <laughs> um, coming out of school. Uh, don't laugh. <laughs> you dealt with me in college, and you know. Um, you know, and I, I, I'll never forget the one conversation we had, and I'm complaining about something. And I, I think I was talking, at that point, I was in a construction project, and I was just saying how certain things were unfair, and, and I didn't understand why. Um, you know, I didn't think this is the way it should go, and, and I'll never forget it. He said to me, you know, if, if you don't want to play the game, just get off the field, right? It was just so simple. Like, mm-hmm. he just looked at me simply like, you know, either either play the game and enjoy it or just get off the field and do something else. Uh, but you can't sit here and complain for the rest of your life that things are the way they are. And you, you've always hustled. I mean, I remember in college, whether it was promoting, you, you, always, had, you always had something going on outside of just studying. Yeah, I mean, I've always worked. So, I mean, I was working construction in, you know, 16, 17, 18, up at 4.30 in the morning. Uh, You know, in college, like you said, I worked four nights a week promoting and worked in a boxing gym um, at night that I wasn't promoting. So, I was always moving. I think there's a big difference between just waking up and working for for somebody else and then, you know, the, the, the realities of having to, you know, move the needle yourself and all the complexities that come into that and the risk. I think risk can, can really be a crippling, um, a crippling factor, you know, just because it's, it brings anxiety and stress and that can really derail your progress. So you have to figure out how to, how to manage and, and handle risk and stress and anxiety. It's just a different level um, of, I don't know, c- control over your, your mm-hmm. emotions and, and your, your body. I mean, you, you know that too. You know that yeah, sure. Too. How have you gone about doing so? I think it's just like, self, you know, self-care. Like it, it sounds corny, but, you know, I go to acupuncture every other week. I work out four days a week. Um, you know, just just take care of myself and get sleep and just realize, you know, at the end of the day, I kind of always reset. I think having my son made everything easier because it just puts life in perspective. And you walk in the house and I'm sure you feel this way, especially when you're traveling, but you walk in the house and you see that face, get a hug and you're like, yeah, I'm good. Yeah. I'm not really worried about much else. But also at the same time, your, your motivations change and your priorities change and you're, you're not just doing this for yourself. Yeah. And I actually find that helpful. I didn't find that to be more stressful. I think it just, you know, it aligns the greater purpose of like, Hey, I got to get up and, and I'm in the long game now. I'm not in the short game. Cause I'm not like trying to get a car or a watch. 
I'm in the long game. Like I want my son to be proud of what I accomplish and what I do and how I do it. Right. And, and to be able to look back and say, Hey, this is what, this is what my dad did. I don't care about giving him a Rolex or something like that, you know, like, or something nice. Like I think, so yeah, I think it, it simplifies everything or it did for me at least. Even the fact that, that you've always hustled and, and worked so hard and had your hands in everything, has it, has it made it difficult hiring people given your drive and, and how you've always done things, hiring people to make sure that it's done the same way? I'd say yes and no. I mean, I think it's, it's harder sometimes to, to not overpower, you know, people, which has been something that I've been working on, you know, like just, I'm trying to motivate people with my passion, but not, um, not overpower them. So, you know, we're always trying to, um, empower people to make decisions, right? I want, I want to hire people. Like I always believe in hiring somebody that wants to be at the next level, but isn't right. And yes, so, cause I always, I feel like we live in a world where everyone's like, you're either, you're either overqualified or underqualified. So you're underqualified, but you have like a, you have like that fire in your belly or you're overqualified and you know, which basically says someone doesn't want to pay you what you're worth <laughs> in my opinion. Right. Um, so I, I like the concept of underqualified on paper, but they want to go get it. So that's kind of our hiring tactic is, is we want to, we want to feel the fire in your belly. Want want to give you the opportunity to go jump three or four rungs up the ladder with us. Um, and I, I haven't really had trouble hiring people because I'm just so, I just learned to be brutally honest and not oversell. I think a lot of people are overselling because they want somebody to like the business and like them kind of take a different approach and, and just say, here's everything bad that you may experience here. And if you think that's exciting and that's cool, then the rest is going to be a cakewalk. Mm -hmm. Right. So let's talk about all the things that are going to be difficult. Let's talk about all the things you may not like. Um, let's get that out of the way. And if you're still here and you're still excited, then there's probably something to talk about. All right. So when was the last time you got in the ring with George? Uh, actually, I'll never forget it. it was, this was right before we were opening. So this would be seven years ago now. And he was training for his last, what would be his last fight in Cancun, Mexico. And he had just come back from, um, he was working out with uh, John Scully in Rhode Island. And he was just, he was in great shape. So he just came back and he was dying for sparring partners because he was in this kind of low period. And I'm like, all right, man, I'll move around with you. He's like, well, I'm not going to hit you. And I'm like, come on, man. Like, you know, don't treat me like a baby. Like I, I can take a punch. Right. And so, we're working around, we're working around. And he wouldn't hit me because that's just, you know, that's how George is. Like he wouldn't even, he wouldn't ever even tap me. So I'm like kind of annoyed that he's not hitting me. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to hit him good. You know, I'm going to give him a good body shot and maybe then he'll really start, you know, fighting back a little bit. Cause that's always a good way to get somebody to, <laughs> to hit you back. Um, so I give him, a, you know, a good good left to the body and I, I really put I really put something on it and I felt like one of those cartoons you know like where like you hit something and there's a brick wall behind it and yeah. your whole body just shakes 
because I actually hit him and it felt like he hit me. <laughs> I can't. I can't even think. I literally stopped. <laughs> I stopped what we were doing. I looked at him like, man, I'm good. I'm good. And I never, I never went back in there again. I was like, I don't want to talk about this for a long time. I'm going to actually forget this ever happened because I don't feel like, uh, I don't. De- never mind a man. I don't feel like a human after <laughs> after this experience. And I remember hearing the stories you were telling me. I mean, this is this was years ago. I I think it was maybe it was right after or you were opening the first one in Boston or you'd open the first one in Boston. And you're like, yeah, George has been he's been sleeping on my couch for the past few months. And I and I remember saying, and I met George I think once or twice before. I said, wait, wait someone named George Foreman is sleeping on your couch. And that's that was one of the first times I realized like, all right, you guys are are really in this together. Yeah, you know, it's it's kind of crazy to think about because, you know, at the time we were just we were just moving, you know, we didn't weren't really thinking too much about, you know, <laughs> what we were what we were doing as far as like personal lives. You know, at that at that point, we were both single. I'm living in a one bed kind of loft in the city. And, you know, George really just moved up here with a bag. He, he had his bag. He was visiting me. And just decided not to leave. And so he, he left his house in, in Houston. He left his boxing career and really his career with his dad. You know, at first his dad, obviously, as most dads were like, what are you doing? Right. Like, uh, and, you know, George just felt so passionately that he needed to do something on his own and, and need to make his mark. And so, you know, he left his, you know, even though he's a foreman, like he left his job, he left his home. And he really just had the, the clothes in his bag and really didn't have the money to go rent an apartment. So he, he was on my couch for a year. And then he, and then he subletted a apartment on Craigslist down the street um, for another year because we were just, we were in this point where we were raising money. We weren't making any money. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he needed to make sure that he made his, his dollars last because we just didn't know when we were going to get this thing off the ground. Yeah, and the two of us used to live together, so I know I know you know how to make ramen noodles. <laughs> yeah, man, we, we we made it work. We made it work. I mean, we weren't we were still eating well though. I think that's the one thing for George and I. We could be broke and we'd find a way to eat well. Um and and that man eats like he I know what I knew what it was like to, to feed a family after having him stay on my couch for a year. Because my food bills were—I could have had six kids for, for how much he ate. Um, all right. Uh, finally, what's um, the most significant thing you learned from me in college? From you in college? Hmm. I can yeah. think of a bunch of things I learned from Russ. Yeah, right, uh, right. we all we all learned from Russ. <laughs> <laughs> what, what it would be like living with my grandfather? Um, <laughs> Russ. <laughs> having a college roommate who's constantly in a bathrobe and slippers yeah yeah i, I think that's i know I, I think from you honestly what i learned is that someone can just honestly be very genuine and there isn't a hidden agenda i feel like living in boarding school for many years living in, at bu with other people like i've never met anyone as genuine as you so i was always trying to crack you i was always trying to say you know there's got to be another side to noah he can't just be this genuine and this honest and this real, but you were to this day. I still think you're you're the most genuine, real person I've ever met, 
I can't think of a better word than that, but like you are exactly how you present yourself. There is nothing I else. I appreciate that. The uh, the checks in the mail. I, I didn't even think you were gonna give a real answer, but that's that's nice. Of you. <laughs> Thanks, bro. Thanks, bro. Nah, man. It's the truth. It's the truth. All right, I appreciate it. I'm proud of you, and I'll talk to you soon. All right, thanks, man. I really thought AJ was going to say how to break up with a girl respectfully, but he didn't, or maybe he would just laugh. But that was actually pretty touching. It's inspiring being around AJ for a number of reasons, and one of them being that he walks the walk without talking the talk. He never touts his work ethic, but you can feel it and see it, and it comes from a genuine, honest place. We went to school with a lot of kids in college who felt like they had already made it because of what their parents had accomplished. Not me, and certainly not AJ. Again, check out everybodyfights.com. They've got locations in Boston, New York, Philadelphia, Lexington, Kentucky, and others coming. Plus, they have third-party venues, The Box, a bunch of them in Chicago, so try it out. They're on Instagram, too, at Everybody Fights. And we can continue the conversation on Twitter at Noah Kozlov, C-O-S-L-O-V. Also, please, we're over 100 episodes in of the follow-up. Subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, 30 seconds of your time. Do it in the elevator. I don't care. And if you're not on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, you can hear all the episodes on VocalNow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L-Now.com. Thanks for taking the time to join us on The Follow-Up. The Follow-Up is a production of Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit VocalNow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L-Now.com.